Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter uh, 8. <clears throat> A little review before we get going here. <clears throat> um, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's really, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about Jesus lately. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Because that's really what it's all about. It, you know, it's all the glory to Him and for what He's done. We celebrate Christmas. We talk about Jesus. Before Christmas, we are looking in the Gospel of Matthew. It's all about Jesus. You know, chapter 8 starts out, he comes down from the mountainside to the needs and the pain and the problems of all the people, and that's us. But to talk just about us, what good would that do, right? We can just talk about ourselves all day long. We do that at home. Let's not do that here. Well, at least me. Now, if I got up here and talked about myself for like 20, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, whatever it is, 40 minutes, how would that... We're here to talk about Jesus, you know. There's nothing that he can't handle. And he gets down to the individual, you and to me. The leper, we saw he reached out and touched the leper. He touched him. No one else would touch him. And then he, and then he, he reached out to the, the Gentile centurion who came to Jesus, who interceded for his servant. And he came in faith because he believed that Jesus could do something. He said to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus saw the faith of this man and, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and that he would be there <clears throat> excuse me, at the feast. But many of even his own people would refuse. Some people would enter the suffering, the darkness, the fire. And what makes the difference? It's faith, trusting in Jesus. Again, back to Jesus. What makes the difference between our eternal destiny is Jesus. There's nothing else that makes a difference. I, I, I've been doing a little reading, a, a missionary who went and visited all these different countries, and, and uh, he, he, was, he spent a lot of time in countries where the Buddhism is the, is the you know, dominant religion, and Buddhism is a, basically a system of merit, that you need to keep doing good things to achieve, right, to make it to heaven. And, and they believe in reincarnation. I mentioned that last week. You know, you, you do good so that in the next life you'll get to be in a little better spot. And then finally you're going to reach that state of, uh, I forget what they call it, um, nirvana maybe, uh, you know, the, where, they're, where they're realized um, and, the, you know, then they're sure they're going to make it. But, you know, if it has to be based on what you and I do, God help us. We're not going to make it. I think it's dishonest to think, and, and that's why it's such a system, uh, you know, spinning your wheels, like, it's, it's dishonest to think that we're going to make it. It's just like, there's, what kind of hope is there in that? So this man saw the difference, and, and really the invitation to heaven is open to all who would come in and trust in Jesus. Today, Jesus heals a woman, and then he heals many others. We we, Jesus wasn't afraid to reach out to anyone. doesn't matter what the religious people of that day, you know, they would never touch a leper. They would never talk to a Gentile. They had very low views of women. Jesus, you know, he, he broke through all the barriers, you see. And he's still doing that today, and he reaches out. He loves every one of us, man, woman, child, the same. And he heals this woman, then he heals many others. Let's look at verse 14. <clears throat> when Jesus came... Into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And he touched her hand, 
And the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, I, I could tell you a few mother-in-law jokes, but <clears throat> there's just a chance that, you know, my mother-in-law might hear it, and I could be in a lot of trouble. But Jesus got to the place, this house, Peter's house, and it was obvious there was a need there. It was obvious this woman was in bed. She was probably burning up. Dr. Luke, in his account of this, says that she had a high fever, a great fever. And in that day, back then, you know, many, many people died just from having a fever. They didn't know what it was. Maybe it was malaria. Maybe it was typhoid. We don't know. But with this kind of situation, it was very often life-threatening. It wasn't just like you and I get a little fever and we're going to stay in bed and take some Tylenol and, you know. No, this was like serious. This was, you know, life and death. And Jesus saw her and Jesus cared about her. You know, you, you can't look at the life of Jesus very long without seeing that he cares for people. He just cares. He says he looked out on the crowd, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cares. He, he, he sees people and their needs. A little side point here is, is that um, Peter was married. Did you, do you see that there? Just want to point that out. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul says, Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas or Peter? They were all married, except maybe a couple of them weren't. Notice, too, I, I, I see this here, that Peter's mother-in-law is there. Um, maybe she was living there. In Mark's account, um, it said that Andrew was living there, too. It seems that in, back in those days as well, there were more family kind of living together situations. Now we've, we've become very compartmentalized, and, and we do things quite differently. But, but uh, you know, I, I, I kind of wonder about this, if this isn't, you know, uh, kind of something we should be thinking about. I, I'm, I'm saying this for my children to be kind of get the message. I repeat this over and over to them um, <clears throat> for my own uh, future. But Jesus sees her and he cares for her and it says he touched her hand. He touched the leper. He touched the hand of this woman. He spoke the word for the centurion. Jesus does things all different ways. I think, I think it's clear. Jesus isn't bound to do things just one way. In Mark's gospel uh, about this account, we have a little more detail. It says he took her hand and he helped her up. He didn't just touch her hand, but he touched her hand and he, he grabbed her hand and he actually helped her up. In Luke's gospel, this is interesting, it says he bent over her and rebuked the fever. Jesus, you know, was active and, and, and he saw this kind of, we're going to talk about some demonic stuff here in a, in a second. But each was different. Someone said this, Jesus isn't bound by certain methods. In every case, it was the power of his command that brought the result. We can't put Jesus in a box and say, this is the way he heals. This is the way he always heals. This is the way he does things. He always does things this way. He, does, he did, actually did some pretty strange things, if you think about it, right? Made the little mud, right? Put on the eyes. But it says there what, what for her in her situation, it says the fever left her. Notice there was no crowd there. There was no audience, no TV cameras. This was very personal and very real. Very personal. He cared about the person. In her response, she <clears throat> called up CNN, um, started writing the book, 
and, you know, got herself onto the speaking circuit, which is kind of what we would do today, right? I wonder why, you know, and we're going to talk about healing in a minute, why, you know, why uh, healings happen here, maybe in other countries more than they happen here. I, I wonder if it's just some of the way that we kind of think about things. But her response was not any of those things. What did she do? Look what it says there. It says she got up. She got up and began to wait on him and the others. The, gospel, the other gospel accounts tell us. She got up and began to serve. She got up and began to serve. There was gratitude there, sure, but, but for all that Jesus had done, she got up to serve. She wasn't only healed, we noticed that, but she was strengthened. And I don't know if you've ever had a fever before, but when the fever breaks, you, you don't really feel that strong, right? You're glad, you feel better, but you're not ready to get up and start doing anything, right? You're not ready to go out and start shoveling snow or you know, the kinds of other things, physical things. But she got up immediately and began to serve. Maybe she was a little weak, maybe not, but the fact is that she used the strength that she did have to serve. And I think that there is joy in serving. I think what we see here is that, you know, what else, what else am I going to do? For all that Jesus has done for me, what else am I going to do? I'm going to serve him. I, I really, really like this, um, um, uh, I can't think of the word now, you know where you have the letters and each letter stands for something, what's, Ac acronym, anachronism, no, acronym, yeah, that's it, and so, you know, sometimes, you know, I knew this like yesterday, but like today, it's like my mind is like gone, I think it's my thyroid, <coughs> But this acronym for joy, I think there's joy, this acronym for joy that I heard years and years ago, and I think it is so true. It, do, you, do you all know what it is? Any of you know what it is? Jesus, others, and yourself, about serving, about serving, that, that joy comes from serving Jesus, then serving others, and serving yourself. We kind of got it mixed up, and that's why we don't have any do uh, joy, we have yoj. We got things backward, and we wonder why, you know, life is kind of messed up. She got up and began to serve Jesus and then serve other people, and in it, she found joy for herself. I, you know, when we start to get all beat up and depressed and down, our number one focus is where? On us. But when we begin to focus on Jesus and, and do something for Him, do something for someone else, and Jesus, of course, later in the Gospel of Matthew says, you know, what you've done to the least of these, you've done it what? Unto me. And so as we serve other people, we're actually serving him too. Jesus, others, yourself. I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, uh, maybe, maybe your own life, you're, you're going like, there's no joy, there's nothing happening. Well, uh, you know, is there any kind of, are you serving anywhere? Are you serving in the church? Are you serving in the community? Are you doing anything that you could say, this is serving? Not just, um, you know, looking out for number one. That's what we've been taught from day one. Looking out for number one. What about somebody else? Maybe your neighbor needs her, uh, you know, steps shoveled today when you go home. Maybe there's some kind of a need that you know of that you can help. Jesus, others, yourself. 
she got up and began to serve. Somebody said this, that she was saved to serve and that you and I are saved to serve. Jesus came into that home. He saw the need. He touched the woman, but it didn't stop there. Jesus kind of, you know, he, he tried to take breaks, but he never got any breaks, really. He tried to go out, and, and, but people always had a way of finding him. Look at verse 16. It says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. When evening came, the Sabbath was over. We see in another passage about this that it was a Sabbath day, and people, they held off until the evening came when the Sabbath would be over. Not that the the Sabbath ever stopped Jesus from working. We know that. But they brought these demon-possessed people to him. And again, we see like the centurion where somebody brought somebody else to Jesus. Somebody brought the needs of somebody else. Maybe that's your serving Maybe that's your ministry. And ministry means serve, by the way. It means serving. Ministry doesn't mean, you know, power and exalting, but ministry means serving. And and maybe that's your ministry is to to pray, to intercede. I know there's some people, that's their ministry, where, where they just intercede and they bring people to Jesus. And these people, they brought... The demon possessed. Now you, you say, well, what is that all about? I don't think we really have a, a clear understanding about that today. Um, basically, it, it means to be indwelt or controlled by evil spirits. You say, well, is, is that happening today in our country? You know, <clears throat> I think, personally, I think it's probably happening way more than we would like to know or believe. Because I think it's more subtle in some ways. I think there are many who have sold themselves out, many who are involved in occultic things and Eastern religious things that are, that are very prominent and very um, are, are, are happening all over our society. And it's just kind of been watered down so much like it, this is just a normal thing. This is just a normal thing, this channeling. You've heard about channeling. Uh, although... Although when you look at the entertainment industry, I think it's interesting, the entertainment industry is not afraid to just throw this stuff all at us about occultic stuff and demonic stuff. They call, there's a new movie coming out, I, I, I don't know, I'm not going to watch it, I'm not going to go see it, but it's called Legion, right? And what did Jesus say to, you know, when he was dealing with the demonic forces? You know, what did they say? You know, what's your name? What did they say? You, you, where do they get these things? They get these things, a lot of it, from, from kind of uh, uh, scriptural and, and, and understanding. But, but they're not afraid to throw this stuff out at people over and over again. Maybe in, just in that, it kind of like, uh, like waters it down enough where people don't think it's even real. I think there are, are uh, you know, <clears throat> two extremes. Two extremes. And this is what I found in, in, in many years of being a believer. Number one is, is this, is that Satan is everywhere. And that he has unlimited power. And that he can even possess Christians. I've heard this, okay? I've been involved and seen this kind of, this kind of teaching. And on the other extreme now is that Satan doesn't even exist. He has no power because he doesn't exist. You got, so you got these... Two wild extremes. Well, what, what is the answer? Satan, uh, Satan, first of all, 
Satan does exist. I, I remember the old Keith Green song, you know, that Satan's boast is, is this, that no one believes in me anymore. He says, oh, my job, and he's speaking, uh, you know, for Satan on this. He says, oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate your brightest light, make your night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the air. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. No one believes that Satan exists. You know, who do you, you know, uh, who do you want to talk to, maybe where you work or whatever, to, you're going to talk to them about Satan, about the devil. They're going to just laugh at you. Why? Because they think it's just a myth. But the Bible talks over and over and over again that it's very real. That, that there, is a, there is a being called Satan, called the devil. But, but one of the things that I know is very, very clear from Scripture is that he is in no way, no way omnipotent. He's in no way omnipresent. He can be in one place at one time. His power is limited. Some people think about it if they do believe it, that, that you, know, you have Jesus over here and then you have uh, the Satan over here, and they're kind of equal in power except one is the, you know, the dark side and one is the light side, right? It's not like that at all. Satan is a created being, right? Jesus is the what? The creator. We looked at it last week. He is the creator. Very big difference between a creator, the creator, and a created being, right? You can't, they're not in the same camp whatsoever. So does Satan exist? Yes. Is he real? Yes. Are, are there such things as demons? Yes, there are, you know, demonic forces that Satan has that work with him, so to speak, for him. Ephesians 6 tells us they have authorities, powers, rulers, forces of evil. These things are all true. But he is limited. Hal Lindsey wrote a book, you remember those of you who have been a Christian for a while, back in 1972, that said Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. I think it's even more true today, and maybe in our, in our country as well. But I want to say this from personal experience in, in, in this, for the believer, for the true believer, that Satan and demonic forces cannot possess true believers, okay? That's a lie of, of the devil, to create fear to create confusion. It's just a lie. 1 John 4.4, 4, uh, John says, You children, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, these evil spirits. He says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. It doesn't say, and this is what kind of set me free uh, way back because I was involved in a group in my first couple of years, you know, that it doesn't say the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in you right? It's the one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Now, having said all that, do we face warfare? Yes, we do. Do we face oppression? Can Satan and his demonic forces... By the way, I want to say again, as I mentioned, Satan is only in one place at one time. So, and I don't think, I don't believe any of us in this room, unless, unless uh, you know, I, I don't know you very well, and you might be the Antichrist that just, you know, waiting your time and everything, and maybe you're here today. Um, I don't know why you'd be here, but 
just in case you are, but it, he, he, none of us, I think, are important enough for Satan, who can only be in one place at one time, to be here with you and I. He's probably with some, you know, in some big high-level kind of thing happening, you know, that's going to affect the whole planet or whatever. But, he's, but, but, but his demonic forces, uh, they're alive and well, too. And, and for you and I, uh, you know, to, to get in battle, to fight against these things, it says in 2 Corinthians 2 that he says that we should be forgiving. He says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We need to know a little bit. I don't believe that we need to know, you know, we need to focus on Satan. And some groups do. That's all they ever talk about. You know, they find a truth, and maybe then they go to that extreme, and then all they talk about is Satan, Satan, Satan. We need to talk about Jesus, like I said in the beginning. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We need to know the reality, not, you know, focus on the counterfeit. But we do need to know a few things, and that, that we're not unaware of his schemes, his schemes that he, tries, he, he wants to steal and to kill and to destroy, and he wants to disrupt, and he wants to push us down. He wants to keep us under... In that particular passage, the, the, the context was forgiveness, and, and when we are unforgiving, that he has us in the palm of his hand, so to speak. So forgiveness is important. But as I mentioned, that passage in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And in that passage, he talks about taking a stand uh, uh, numerous times. We need to stand against the, the battle. We need to fight the good fight. We need to take our stand. We can't do it without the armor, though. We can't stand in our own strength against any demonic forces. They're way smarter than us. They've been around a lot longer than us. They know a lot more than we do. So unless we put on the full armor of God, and you can read about it in Ephesians 6, you're not, you don't have a chance. Now here in Matthew, we see that he drove out these spirits with a word, and and Jesus has that power. He would talk to them and, and, and he would just call out, call out with a word and he drove them out and, and, and in most cases he wouldn't let them speak. But when they did speak, it says in Luke that, that uh, demons came out of many people. They, shout, they were shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Isn't that interesting? The demons know who Jesus is. The demons know. Of course, they, they have, you know, they're in the spiritual realm and they can see. But so many humans have trouble seeing that Jesus is the Christ, the answer, the Messiah, the one that we all need. He has all power over demonic spirits. If, if, if you and I are going to uh, face and take a stand, don't do it in the name of yourself. We need to do it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we take our stand. In the name of Jesus, we stand and fight. In the name and in the strength and the power of Jesus, the belt of truth, the, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and, and the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith. In the name of Jesus, we fight. You know that story in the book of Acts where, you know, they, there was those, those, uh, <clears throat> those exorcists, and they, they were fighting in the name... Of, of Jesus whom Paul preached, right? And they, and they were trying to, to cast some, some demons out of, of some people, and it says, you know, and the demon spoke and said, you know, 
Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? They had no personal relationship with Jesus. They're just trying to use a formula. It says that, you know, they jumped on him and, and beat him all up and stripped him naked and they went, you know, running off. It just shows us we can't do it in our own strength and we need to know Jesus if we're going to fight, if we're going to stand. So it says there that he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. He, there was this, you know, battle of demonic uh, proportions that was going on, and then there was also the physical healings that he laid his hands on each one, it says in one of the other accounts. Verse 17, it says this, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, that he took up our infirmities and he carried our diseases. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Now, the context in Isaiah, and, and uh, <clears throat> Matthew's quoting a portion of Isaiah chapter 53. And the context, when you look at that whole section, is about, is about the cross and the suffering servant that he, that he you know, takes our iniquities. We're going to look at those passages in a second. But here, this is being fulfilled, this passage is being fulfilled even before the cross by his very life by His power, that it says that He took up our infirmities and He carried our diseases. This is even before the cross happened, right? The cross. Now, I think that, that um, the cross is yet to come. And I think, <clears throat> I've, I've been thinking about this passage and kind of the whole, the whole concept of healing and the whole, the whole idea of, of healing and the cross and healing before the cross and, and what happens and what doesn't happen. It's kind of a very large subject, and uh, my mind is kind of small. But, I, but I'm thinking about these things, too, and, and, and I've heard this phrase before, and maybe you've heard it as well, you know, that, <clears throat> that, uh, you know, that, that healing is in the atonement, right? Any of you heard that phrase before? No. Sorry. Basically, what the confusion, what the confusion I think that comes in, and, and, and you've probably heard more, some of you have heard about this kind of teaching, maybe not the phrase that, that healing is in the atonement, that, that healing is guaranteed. Healing is guaranteed by the cross. That all we need to do is claim it. That's all we need to do. It's a guaranteed in the atonement in the cross. This is what one person says about this. He says it's used by, by some to show that healing is in the atonement and that therefore physical healing is something the believer can claim by faith. But here the Spirit of God applied the prophecy to our Savior's earthly healing ministry and not to the work on the cross. He healed before the cross ever happened. He healed at the cross. You know, is, is healing included in the cross? Let's turn back to Isaiah because I, I, I want you to see some of the verses and what it says there. Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, and this kind of leads us into our, our communion here in just a few minutes. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, again, the suffering servant the, the, the <clears throat> who, would, who would die upon the cross for us, and, and he's quoting some verses from this section about healing, uh, but I want you to get a, a little picture here in verse um, uh, 14. 
13 of chapter 52. It says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Speaking about what it was like when he was brutally tortured and beat and whipped before he went to that cross. It says, so he will sprinkle many nations. Jump down to chapter 53 and verse 3. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is the context. Again, what Matthew's talking about here. We see there he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, carried our diseases. But that was kind of leading up really to the cross where it says by his wounds we are healed. The ultimate healing is what? The healing for sin. There's one thing that is guaranteed. He takes our sin upon himself at the cross. Peter Again, who was there in this situation back in Matthew, Peter says these words about this. He says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. What is the healing that he's talking about here? The healing for sin. The healing to pay the price for our sin. Again, this whole thing about healing, we, we, <clears throat> I think we find the two extremes here as well. Number one, you have on the one side that God is bound to heal us. He is, he is uh, guaranteed to heal us and that we claim the healing by faith and he must heal us. That's one, one extreme. On the other extreme is, is that God doesn't heal anymore. God, you know, he gave that up. Jesus came and he healed people and then he stopped. When the Bible was finished, they say that, you know, nothing else happened anymore since then. It's all just faith and we just hold on, we'll get there someday. But again, I think the truth is, in the middle somewhere, is that God still heals. Speaking about healing now. I'm not talking about salvation, this, this ultimate healing. You know, we can kind of, you know, look at the words for healing and what, what does God heal us from? Healing us of a, a sinful heart. That's number one. That, that is guaranteed. For those that would come by faith to Jesus Christ, there is guaranteed. But in terms of healing, the physical body here and now, did God always, does God always heal? Did he always heal in the Old and the New Testaments? No, he did not. Is it a guarantee? God is sovereign. This is what I believe. There is healing at the cross, but some of the results, and especially these, the physical results, are, are not until later. Now, I don't want to talk you out of believing that God can and does heal, because I believe the same thing. 
But I believe that we need to lay it before Him and let Him make the choice. In the Scriptures, not all were healed. Even Paul the Apostle wasn't healed. What did he say? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He said what? My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no. I'm not going to heal you right now, but but I'm going to give you my grace. Timothy was frequently ill. Paul, the apostle who was used to, you know, by God to, to see people healed, he left one of his disciples sick. We can't say, we can't say to God, you must do this. Because I don't believe the scripture teaches that. We don't see that. He takes up our infirmities and carries our diseases. When I, when I was thinking about this, I, 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 you know, I, I thought about the fact that whether he heals or not, it's still true. This passage, this verse is still true, that he takes up our infirmities and carries our diseases. Whether he takes them away from us or not, and, I, you know, God... Uh, my, my heart's desire would always be that he would, right? That he would heal. That he would take these things off of us. But sometimes he doesn't do that. But I, I, I believe it's still true And I was thinking about this, that he, that he still takes up our infirmities and carries our diseases even while we still have them. Think about that for a minute. How does he do that? Well, he carries us, doesn't he? He carries us. He carries us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't always take us out of it. Uh, you know, you, I, I found quite a number of verses that talks about the fact that God carries us. It says the, the passage we're reading, He take us, takes up our infirmities and carries our diseases, and, 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 he, and He's helping us to get through them. How many times people, you know, God hasn't healed them, but God has helped them. God has carried them. God has brought them through. When you and I would never stand up, we could never bear up under the weight of those things. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says, The Lord your God is, who is going before you, he says he'll fight for you. It says this as well. He says, There you saw in Egypt how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. What a beautiful picture is that. Just like a father carrying his little son, God carries you and I. It says in Isaiah, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He picks them up and carries them close to his heart. You and I, he carries us close to his heart. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers... They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I will carry you, he says later. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. The Lord is my strength, David said. And my shield, my heart trusts in him. And I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I'll give thanks to him in song. The Lord is the strength of his people a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance, he says. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Does God heal today? Yes, he does. 
Do I understand it all? Why does he heal some and not others? I don't know. You know, you hear this, and, and I believe it's true that in, in other parts of the world where people are, you know, are being healed at a greater rate, you know, and, and, but again, maybe it's because they're not going to be going on TV. They're not going to be doing these things and, 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 and lifting up themselves. You know, I, <clears throat> I, uh, I know it's kind of, uh, kind of way, way overused, this, this poem of the footprints in the sand, you know. Way, you know, it's just been around a long time. But, but you know what, there's a, there's, a, there's a good picture there, isn't it? It says, you know, when you, you know, he, he sees his life or she, whoever, you know, and, and sees only, you know, two sets of footprints and then certain times only one set. And it's like the life flashing before him in the most difficult times, you know, you left me there. There's only one set of footprints. And, and, the, and of course, the answer is, you know, no, that's, those are the times that I carried you in the most difficult times of your lives. That's what he says in Matthew here. He says that <clears throat> Jesus cares. This is what we see over and over. He touched Peter's mother-in-law. She got up to serve. He delivered those who were demon-possessed. He healed those that were sick. But Isaiah says that he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yes, we pray for healing. But if he doesn't heal, we also know that he's going to carry us. He's going to carry even those things. And that's what we need most of all. Amen? <clears throat>